the blast from our past network. Hey everybody, Corey here. Before we jump into Zach's interview with longtime Fangoria editor Tony Timpone, I just wanted to let all the new listeners know that this episode is a part of our Patreon-exclusive series titled Interviews After Dark. When you sign up for the Interviews After Dark tier, you unlock all of those episodes, which right now we're looking at about 12, 13, depending on when you are listening to this. And those interviews include amazing people like Brian Usna, the director of Return of the Living Dead Part 3, Tom Holland, the director of Fright Night. Uh, we also have uh, Jonathan Stark, who played Billy Cole in Fright Night. We have Tom Matthews, uh, Zach Ward. My God, we have a, just a bunch of awesome, awesome people there. Uh, Jeanette Goldstein, who played Vasquez in Aliens. And uh, they are all a lot of fun, great, great insights into these characters, into these actors, into the roles that they play. And we really hope that you guys check them out we have a lot of great stuff there but when you sign up to that tier you also unlock everything under the wrap up after dark tier which includes the show wrap up after dark which is also a patreon exclusive show that's monthly that zach and i do and uh you unlock bonus videos that we do we also have ad free versions of each episode and they come out a little bit early sometimes depending on how quickly i can edit them I think you all know three and a half hour episodes take a while to edit. But we thank everybody for all of their support. We couldn't do this show without our patrons. And we hope everybody gets a chance to check us out over there. We have a lot of content over there that we're very, very proud of. But we're aware that, you know, times are tough right now. And a free way to help out the show is by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Those go a long way to, to helping, you know, basically get the show in front of new listeners. So we appreciate the in, insane amounts of, of five-star reviews that we already have. And, uh, you know, we're asking just for a little bit more. We appreciate it. But if you do want to hear more interviews like this one with Tony Timpone, please consider subscribing to our Patreon page and uh, just know that it all goes back right into the show. And we thank you guys so, so much. Now, without further ado, here's Tony Timpone. Welcome to our Patreon-exclusive interview series for Podcasting After Dark with your hosts, Corey Stevenson and Zach Schaefer. Tonight's interview is former editor for Fangoria magazine and icon of horror, Tony Timpone. Tony Timpone, thank you so much for being on Podcasting After Dark. Hey, my pleasure, Zach. Um, Thanks for having me. It, well, it's it's an honor because, as you know, listen, our listeners won't know, but you and I go back, what, 20 years now, I think? Probably, yeah. Uh, we were both five or six, I think, at the time. <laughs> I think you're right. Walking the halls of the Fangoria conventions and mm-hmm. back in Burbank back in the day. Yeah. Um, I being like a teenager at the time and... I would go to these conventions with my brother, Eric, who I've mentioned on the podcast quite a bit. And uh, we would see you, and you were always so gracious to us. And I always said, I'm like, man, one of these days, I want to have a conversation with Tony. Like, because I feel like you're just one of those, I don't know, it, it's, it may sound silly now, but at the time I was like, yeah, this t- you seem like such an awesome dude, which you are. <laughs> and I've gotten to get to know you uh, quite a bit 
in the you know past few years mm -hmm. uh, and so it really means a lot that we're coming full circle now like here I am <laughs> as a fan and now I'm kind of a part of the whole universe of horror and sci-fi mm -hmm. getting to talk about it on a regular basis so thanks for joining us you and, bet, uh, you bet. good you know, stuff yeah we'll do a trip down memory lane uh I'm so there. that so the Fangoria conventions were were really prominent. From when did those start? Well, um, the first Fangoria Weekend of Horrors convention was in New York in 1984, 85. Wow! And then we brought it to Los Angeles in uh, downtown LA 19, in uh, I think it was August 1985 at uh, at the Ambassador Hotel, the same hotel that in downtown where uh, Robert Kennedy was uh, assassinated. Yeah. And whether they filmed Toby Hooper's uh, Toolbox Murders remake of all things. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, they filmed it in this uh, deserted hotel. So uh, yeah, and uh, and the shows in L.A. particularly really took off. You know, from '85 till I think the last one we did in L.A. was maybe 2008 around there, and it was a, uh, the L.A. shows were great. You know, that's where you know I met you and so many other great people. And uh, the, one, the, the cool thing about L.A. is that we were in the heart of horror country. Yeah. You know, all the filmmakers Hollywood. were here. So yep. it was so easy to book guests and have them come down, you know, uh, to, to appear at the show. And, and back then, you know, uh, very few of the talent that I would book asked for an appearance fee. None of the celebrities charged for autographs. It was a different time then in the 80s and, and, and the 90s. And we did a, a, an amazing run of shows. Um, and then eventually the Fangoria conventions um, expanded to other cities besides New York. We did them in Chicago, Austin, Texas, Dallas, Texas, wow. Boston, wow. Detroit, Toronto, Orlando. They were, uh, they really took off. That's so cool. Yeah. I didn't, so yeah, it's funny you saying that about the the times were different back in the 80s and early 90s because I was sharing a story with you off air about Reggie Bannister mm. being the first kind of celebrity horror icon that I really wanted to meet as a kid. Um, and I remember meeting him for the first time and he was signing autographs and at his booth and I said, how much? And he goes, ah, I think it's 15 for whatever everything. And I go, oh, okay. So I just grabbed like <laughs> all six of his photos and graciously... He signed every single one to me, but with a different slogan on each one, which was so cool. And I still have all of them. And then I gave him 15 bucks and, and I felt like kind of weird about it because I thought, wait, I think he should, is it 15? Whatever. I'm only going to give you as much as you want. Mm -hmm. So the following year when I saw him, he had this big sign in front of his booth that said $15 per autograph per photo each or something like that. I thought, okay, well, you yeah. know, but nowadays you see celebrities at these things and they're oh, charging it. $50, $60, that's like $80, a, yeah. $100, $150. It's kind of outrageous. It's a, yeah, it's it's very sad that, you know, the whole convention landscape has changed. And part of the reason uh, for that is uh, eBay, you know, I think, yeah. you know, the celebrities, so with their autographs were worth online and, you know, they wanted a piece of the action. It's true. And, well, that probably all started, too, with the, the sports memorabilia shows. I think yeah. all those people charged back in the day. And, and it's, a, it's a different kind of 
convention scene now. Yeah, and I, I don't, I don't, uh, I, I love it that they can that they're that they're able to profit off it. That's great mm-hmm. for them. Uh, it's a it's a bummer for people that maybe just want something personalized. That just right. says, you know, I remember uh, I've got so many from meeting Bill Lustig from Maniac Cop and mm-hmm. Maniac to Robert Forrester and uh, mm-hmm. at a Fangoria convention. Oh yeah, and, we had everybody from A to Z. A being Argento, Z, Z being Rob Zombie, and for real, everyone yeah. in between. You know, there wasn't anybody who ever refused me to appear at a convention. It was, you know, the sky was the limit, and and we, we, you know, we got everyone we always wanted at our shows. Only one guest we we that we didn't have any luck booking, and that was Donald Pleasance. Oh. But everybody else, we had Vincent Price, Christopher Lee, the old timers, and you know. Um, and of course, all the the new the new breed of you know horror heroes and villains. Yeah, everybody was there to promote something of some right, sort. Right. And, but yeah, how were you able to get so many great guests? Uh, they were just back in those days. This was before the internet. Even it, they were just a phone call away. I would just wow. track them down uh, through um, uh, whatever means I had at my disposal. Or you know, if I knew someone was visiting the set of a new movie, I'd say, "Oh, get the contact information for this person, that person," or just make phone calls and you know, got people to to commit. You know. That's so cool. I think it's I think it's amazing that they not only did they come, but they were everybody always seems so eager and happy to be there. Yeah, um, yeah. Then well, I, we had everyone. You know, Peter Jackson was at a Fangoria convention once. It was, it was just a, in such good times. It was amazing because it's such a nostalgic period. Because I remember riding an elevator with Guillermo del Toro, uh-huh, and, and he was right. promoting um, Devil's Backbone, I think, at the time. Right. And he on the elevator, he's like. What are your favorite horror films? And we had maybe a 15, 20 second conversation, wow. which if you think about it, is kind of a long conversation. Mm-hmm. I was starstruck knowing that, not knowing that he would go on to become such a prolific. Yeah, Academy teammate. Award winner now. Right? And now you try to get him for a convention. It's like almost impossible. Yeah. And the last thing I, I booked him at, um, we uh, gave them a Lifetime Achievement Award at a film festival I work on. In Montreal called Fantasia. Oh, that's right, yeah. And uh, Guillermo came to that, but he's, he's, he had to have bodyguards. You know, he he couldn't, he didn't have time to stick around and sign autographs or anything wow. like that. You know, he gave me a, you know, a nice uh, stage Q&A, uh, but, you know, it wasn't like the, the old days where he'd autograph uh, people's books and things and he'd draw pictures for them. Yeah. And, but now he's uh, Mr. Oscar, so these people become untouchable after a while. Yeah, and and, and on one hand, ungettable. You, you know Guillermo, Guillermo way better than I do, obviously. But it, uh, probably he hasn't changed necessarily as a person, no. but just the environment around yes, him. Yes, yeah, has. he's a big fan. But you know, when they, as they become more and more successful, and they win all these awards, you know, all these handlers attach themselves to them, and you know, and publicists and you know they, they can kind of control every move they make yeah yeah you know, before they're just a phone call or an email away and you know when those academy awards start coming in then they kind of become a little more distant from you unfortunately yeah and then because you know, everybody wants a piece of them i could yeah. yeah i'm not surprised and they only have so much time to devote to the, those kind of things so and I, and I bet you if he I would I would assume if he had his choice he'd rather be at a Fangoria convention uh, you know <laughs> meeting the, the fans versus having to go on a press junket and talk about the same question over and over again. Right. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Well you you had this connection like so again off air uh, and, and in full disclosure you're we're doing kind of a um, an off location interview you're at my home and and you got to meet my son and uh, 
earlier this evening, Bodie, and I've talked about Bodie on previous um, podcasts, and he's a big horror fan. And when I was describing you to him, uh, I think he was like for the first time kind of, I don't want to call it starstruck, but just in awe. I think it's what, and you know, my wife Kristen was commenting. She's like, I've never seen Bodhi so kind of engaged before when we've had a friend come over. And um, I think, you know, you to me are the go to guy when it comes to horror knowledge because you, this has been your passion since you were a kid, right? Right. Yeah. I, you know, I grew up on Godzilla movies and Universal Monster movies and reading comic books. And uh, it was always a passion. Famous Monsters of Filmland. And it was always my dream job to work uh, at a magazine like Fangoria. I never thought it would happen, but you know, um, it, it was always yeah, you know, that was the fantasy. You know? So you were you were at Starlog prior to that. Right? No, uh, Starlog uh, was part of a, a, a company that uh, also owned Fangoria. Okay. And while I was still in college at NYU, I was writing for Starlog. Okay. But my big dream was I really wanted to write for Fangoria, the horror mag magazines. Uh, Starlog was the science fiction stuff, Star Trek and Star Wars. So I'd be interviewing Star Trek people and Star Wars people because I had an interest in that as well. But horror was the goal. But um, back then, Fangoria was all written by the two editors, Dave, okay. uh, Dave Everett and Bob Martin. They, they wrote all the articles themselves, so I couldn't break into to Fangoria because they, you know, they didn't want to pay freelancers. Mm. And uh, so I was doing all this work for Starlog and, while I was in college, and you know, about a month before I got out, I, I told the editor, hey, I'm graduating NYU in a few weeks. If anything opens up, give me a call. And sure enough, I'm working in my dad's deli one day, and the phone rings, and it's the uh, you know, editor of Starlog, come on in for an interview. And wow. um, originally, wow. I was just going to be working on um, uh, the on Starlog and some of the other publications that the the company published, like Wrestling All Stars and Teen Idols and all this other stuff. Fangoria was never even mentioned. Wow! But um, the week before I started, the uh, the co-editor of Fangoria quit to go work on a rock magazine. Okay. And uh, Cream the, or something. <laughs> yeah, that was hard rock video. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, so the lone <laughs> editor of Fangoria, he was the only one there putting the magazine together. Oh, wow. His, the desk next to him was empty, and he said, hey, I need someone to help me with Fangoria. Uh, you know, give me Tony. And, uh, and I didn't have to do any of that teen stuff or the wrestling stuff. And... <laughs> I, you know, I f literally fell into my dream job to work on Fangoria. You didn't want to cover Dusty Rhodes in the NWA? And, no, uh, no, you know. afraid not. <laughs> we used to have some of those guys come up to the office, you know, that some of the wrestlers, uh, which was pretty cool. You didn't had. want to write articles about who's hot, who's not in Team Beach? No, <laughs> no. <laughs> my dream was monsters and slashers and yeah. ghosts and... And Fangoria, because I, I was reading the magazine from issue one, wow. and then um, starting with issue 49, my name was on the masthead, so it was uh, an amazing ride. That's amazing, like, because we've talked about, we've talked about with other people we've had on the show, uh, you know, being able to live your dream, do what you love, mm -hmm. being able to be a part, be successful, well, however you measure success, but be successful in the area that brings you the most joy, and you mm. did it. Like that's yeah. cool. It's such a at such an early stage of the game for you, pretty right, much. Right, right. Yeah, I never, you know, uh, it, I didn't, I didn't, never thought it would would happen. I thought I would just be working on, you know, like I said, those other magazines. Yeah. But I remember, you know, being on the train going to school, uh, college, and 
I was reading a copy of Fangoria on the train, and, and my awesome. friend turns to me and said, so what do you want to do when you graduate? And I, that, you know, I said, well, I'd love to write for a magazine like this. And not only like two years later would I be writing for that magazine, I'd be the editor of the magazine. So How long did it take before you became, for when you signed on and then mm -hmm. you became the editor of Fangoria? Within a year. That's yeah, amazing. yeah, yeah. I was uh, wow. right out of college. I started as an editorial assistant, and that summer I started... Within four weeks, I went from assistant editor, assistant editor to associate editor, to managing editor, and then a year later, editor in chief. Wow! Yeah. I mean, that's the landscape has changed. <laughs> like, like we talked, like you had said earlier with the with the conventions, the landscape has changed. Mm -hmm. Landscape with magazines has changed. But if we are taking a trip down memory lane, going back in time to the eighties, that was huge. Because mm -hmm. magazines were that was that was it that was yeah. that was your source of internet that was your source of um, you know cable news feed mm -hmm. that was where you got your info whether That's it right. was like a you know a month late with some breaking story but mm -hmm. who cares it, it was whatever you picked up at the newsstand right. and so Fangoria was at the height of its popularity at that time and then here yeah. you are jumping forward That's crazy I mean it's, I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm sincerely blown away by that. That is so cool to even think about, you know. Mm -hmm. So there you go. And then you were there for like better part of fifteen years. No, almost thirty years. Whoa! Yeah, wow. Yeah. Um, I started in nineteen eighty-five, and I let's see. Then I moved on. I think it was two thousand and ten to manage that. I gave up editing the magazine. That's to right. run. That's yeah, that was it. Was almost twenty-five years. Okay. And, and But I, I was still with the company, but I went on to managing uh, the company's uh, video on demand and uh, DVD uh, releases. Okay. So I got heavily into that and developing other projects. We did a Fangoria TV show, Fangoria Chainsaw Awards for TV. Yep. I was still doing the conventions and uh, developing other projects. I think I was there for that, one of the first Chainsaw Awards in Hollywood, in LA. Yeah, that's right. We used to uh, do them live at the conventions. And then it, um, it was the year Devil's Rejects comes, came out. I think it was 2009. We had the first and only televised Fangoria Chainsaw Awards, which was on the Fuse Network. I remember that. I watched it. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> I was fantastic. there for that. I helped produce that show. And it was great. And yeah, it uh, was. We, we, we want to do it again because now Fangoria went into a few years of decline. The mm -hmm. company was sold by the original uh, owner who who I, you know, was sort of like a second father to me, this guy, Norman Jacobs. He sold the company in 2005 to a, a post-production facility in New York called the Creative Group. And had these big dreams of doing a Fangoria channel and all this mm -hmm. other stuff. And they got this huge bank loan and they bought the magazine uh, and they kept me on. They gave me, you know, gave me this huge raise and we were developing, you know, we we're trying to spread out in a million different directions, but uh, they kind of try to they try to do everything uh, a little too fast, and they yeah. crashed and burned, and and um, eventually the magazine kind of just you know really uh, st started to fall by the wayside. I, I I had left by that point, like in two thousand and ten, because they're having financial problems. Also, and it wasn't only the the fault of bad management. The magazine business itself was collapsing, yeah. uh, dying off because of the internet and. You know, every week, every day, you know, a famous publication was canceled and, yeah. and bit the dust. 
Uh, so Fang, Fangoria managed to limp along to, uh, well into the 2000s, uh, up until maybe two or three years ago, and you couldn't find it on the newsstand anymore. And the guy running things, like I said, was, you know, uh, just couldn't keep things, keep his head above water. Then lo and behold, about um, uh, a little over a year ago, <clears throat> some uh, enterprising, an enterprising businessman in, in Dallas, Texas, decided to buy Fangoria. Oh. Relaunched the magazine. Uh, this was, uh, uh, yeah, like a little over a year ago, um, and uh, bring the magazine back. Mm -hmm. and, and 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 it's bigger and better than ever. It's this thick. It's a quarterly. It's like the size of a small phone book. It's amazing. And it's newsstand. You know, he didn't want to do anything on the web at first. Yeah. And he wanted to put everything into the magazine. And he hired the right people to run things. He got he has a great new editor. He brought me back as a columnist. I, I used to do an editorial in fa every issue of Fangoria called Elegy. Yeah, I and now I do a column for the new magazine, Volume Two Fangoria, called Elegies. Oh, nice. Plural. And I do interviews for Fangoria. And, and now that now the website's back, Fangoria.com. I'm writing for that. And uh, hopefully we're going to be relaunching the Fangoria Weekend of Horrors in 2020. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're very actively in, uh, uh, pursuing relaunching the shows and uh, you know doing something new and fresh with the convention scene. Because back when we were doing the shows, we were the only game in town. Yeah. Now every weekend there's a horror convention somewhere in some city, you know, all across the country. Uh, and and we want so when we do bring back Fangoria's uh, weekend of horrors, we want want to do something different that the other people aren't doing. Okay. And and they they're going to hire me to come back and MC and like I was doing in the old days back in the eighties. Oh my gosh! So this is so exciting. It's gonna yeah, it's gonna be very nostalgic. Wow! I and nostalgia is on fire right now. Right. Stranger Things and um, you know when when we were kids, uh, the nineteen fifties were nostalgia. Because mm -hmm. it, it, for some reason, it's whatever 30 years, it, whatever was popular 30 years ago seems to be coming back. And, and right, right now it's the 80s, obviously. Uh -huh. I feel like the 80s are kind of here to stay for quite some time because personally, I felt like the 90s doesn't okay. have a whole lot going on of originality. Uh -huh. right. but, um, but the 80s are on fire. So that's exciting to know that the Weekend of Horrors are coming back mm -hmm. uh, into in, to some capacity. And I can tell you what. Whenever it happens, when it happens, my brother and I, day one, will be getting <laughs> tickets. Um, you know, maybe podcasting after dark, we'll have a booth at the. At the oh, that would know. be cool. Yeah, um, we've done. You know, I also work for Monster Palooza, which is okay. sort of like a, one of the Weekend of Horror's successors. Yeah, and we've had live podcasts with, with Joe Dante. Uh, oh, his, cool! The movies that made me. Uh, we've done those at the show, and it's always a fun way to uh, end a convention doing a live podcast. That's always kind of been a goal of uh, of my co-host and I is is to have you know have a booth and uh, do a little live recording at a, uh -huh. a horror convention. Monster Palooza is definitely on our map, but because mm -hmm. it seems like it's a, a really fun convention. To go it's to. a great convention, yeah. Where the uh, where the Fangoria shows the the uh, the the specialty the 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 accent was on the the stage presentations yes yeah, and once the palooza the uh, the emphasis is on the dealer's room mm -hmm. hundreds of vendors it's like you know it's the greatest horror monster supermarket you could ever imagine it's amazing um and they, then they hired me about four or five years ago to sort of bring some of the weekend of horror's magic to them and doing stage presentations so i've been doing that for them for a number of years trying to bring back that Fangoria magic. We've had guests like Bruce Campbell and, oh, yeah. and you know Jennifer Tilly. Some you know some of the people you'd see at the Fango shows back in the day. My gosh, when yeah, you used to have some 
amazing. You talk, you were talking about Devil's Rejects or House of a Thousand Corpses. I remember when that first came out and you had the whole panel there. Yeah. And it was like the Comic-Con of horror. Yeah, because yeah, you had nothing like it. You would say, okay, guys, this is the this is the first and maybe only time you're going to see this clip, you know, uh, coming up next, and or you're in the, the premiere yeah. of this trailer, and everybody would get excited. And I mean, I still think about those memories, and yeah. it's so fantastic. Well, when we did that House of a Thousand Corpses panel at the convention, the stars, Karen Black, Bill Mosley, Sid Haig, yeah. they showed up in costume. Yes, that was the first. We, ne- we had never done anything like that. And, of course, Rob Zombie was there, and that was so, cool. so wild. Yeah, I still have the poster from that. And that was the cool thing, too. That We talked about how things had changed, and, and I remember there would, after, the, after the panel was done, they would all go into another room, and they would sign autographs. For free. For free. John yeah. Carpenter would be in there graciously talking about his career. I remember asking him specifically about why he ended his movies the way he did, and he, he gave me, like, again... Uh, maybe one or two minutes to talk about it and mm. just would go on and on. And I'm thinking, you don't get these moments anymore, you know? Yes. Like, we, yeah. we talk about how, uh, yeah, the internet is great because it's got accessibility all over the map. But the intimacy that your conventions had with mm-hmm. celebrities and personalities, yourself included, mm-hmm. it was just on a different level. You just yeah, felt yeah. like you were... Yeah, you paid money to go to this thing, but you Mm -hmm. didn't feel like you were paying money to see somebody. You kind of felt like we were all in on the fun together. And then when the show ended, everybody would head to the the bar inside the hotel, and you'd see people like Quentin Tarantino hanging out with the fans. This was like right after Reservoir Dogs. We would be hanging out there. He brought, at this particular show, he uh, brought Lawrence Tierney, you know, the the big bag godfather in that movie. He was there, and... uh, it was wild, the things you, you would find at, at, at these shows. I remember seeing Tim Thomerson, because I'm a huge Tim Thomerson fan. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, uh, yep. And he would be, and he was in the in the bar, uh, in the restaurant after one of the shows, and I just walked up to him and said, I didn't, you know, I don't mean to, don't want to disturb you. And he's like, well, you are disturbing me. And he goes, no, it's okay, go ahead. Like, he's messing <laughs> with me. And because he's a stand-up comedian, so right. he's got a good sense of humor. And, uh, and I said, just want to thank you again for being here. And he goes, well, I had a lot of fun, and it's wow. nice to meet you. And it was just such a cool moment. Yeah, he, was a, he was a really nice guy. So I've, try, I've been trying to get him to Monster Palooza the last couple of years. but He's kind of like a little bit of reclusive now. Yeah, right? so yeah. But who, who, what guests stand out to you from those days that you mm. were, like, some of your favorites? Let's see. Uh, well, Christopher Lee, that was like a childhood dream, having him at a convention. It's amazing. Yeah. Vincent Price. Uh, wow. uh, back in you know, 1990, uh, I think it was about 1990, another like, you know, bucket list item. But the coolest, some of the coolest guests would be people like Angus Grimm, who yeah. just loved his fans. He wouldn't dream of ever charging for an autograph, you know. He'd give you the shirt off his back if you wanted it. And he was great. He would recite poetry yeah, I was from just the gonna, stage. I was yeah. say, he'd recite The Raven. Yep, yep. He did that. <laughs> the Raven and Annabelle Lee and... Uh. Uh, uh, so he was such a cool, cool guest. Welcome to the world of terror. When I'm not busy embalming bodies, which isn't often, I like to relax with some good family reading. Let me introduce you to my personal library of Fangoria, the leader in horror entertainment. What a fascinatingly hideous cover of Freddy Krueger. 
and devilishly candid reviews of the latest horror videos and gloriously bloody color photos from the newest Friday the 13th. They're all here in Fangoria. Can I persuade you to subscribe? This is Fango editor Tony Tapone asking you to enter the world of Fangoria. Only $12.49 for a special six-month video subscription. Send check or money order to Fangoria Magazine, 475 Park Avenue South, New York, 10016. Oh, let the dead bodies wait. Yeah, everybody was great, you know. Um, I can't think of, a, of any celebrities that ever gave me a hard time, you know. Uh, well, Linda Blair was a little uh, kind of... Um, <laughs> A little problematic, uh, but other than I got uh, a Linda Blair story. Oh yeah, I'll go. I'll see if I could top it. So uh, <laughs> I used to work at Tower Records back in the day, and um, and she was doing a DVD signing for The Exorcist. Wow. First time on DVD, right? It's right when DVDs first came out, and the, they cleared the store out and they kicked everybody out, and she was going to be sitting at the booth where like the CDs were playing. So I went to go put on the Exorcist soundtrack, uh, thinking it would be appropriate for her presence there. And she was sitting already setting up her little area, and uh, and I'm right next to her leg setting up the CD, and she starts playing with my hair because I had really like <laughs> spiky gel hair. And she goes, I like your hair. And I go, oh, thanks. And she goes, are those frosted tips? And I go, yeah, I, yeah. And she goes, um, what are you putting on? And I go, the Exorcist soundtrack? She goes, oh, God, please don't. Please don't do that. Do you have any Backstreet Boys? And I go, yeah, I could put that on. And she goes, please put some Backstreet Boys on, please. And I go, okay. So I did. And she goes, you just made my night. And I go, well, I aim to please, right? So she comes up to me later and she goes, you know, can I sign something for you? Comes up to me, and I go, yeah. sure. And I go, yeah. And she writes to Zach, you make my head spin, love Linda, you know. Whoa. And her manager comes up to me after that and says, Linda's having a party later. She really wants you to come. Uh, here's my card. Give me a call. And I go, well, I'm actually going home to my girlfriend. And she goes, are you sure? And I go, yes. Uh, she goes, okay. Wow. And that was the end of that story. So, <laughs> so I saw Linda maybe... 15, 20 years later, 10 years later, at a, a, a animal um, uh, rescue rescue event mm -hmm. because she's a big animal yes. rescue person. And she remembered me. She goes, you're the guy with the frosted tips. I go, Holy yeah. Cow. That's amazing. She goes, you still make my head spin. I go, thanks. Oh, boy. <laughs> Anyways, that's my Linda Blair story. Uh, so. <laughs> well, I don't want to bust your, burst your bubbles. I won't tell my story. <laughs> no, I, won't, I want to hear it now. You've gone there. Well, she was. Um, the problem was it wasn't really Linda Blair's fault, but um, she had done a, a short film that was actually quite funny called The Blair Witch Project. I remember it. Yeah. I was there for that. Yeah. It was very, actually, it was very funny. And the, the guy who wrote and directed that, you know, calls me up, hey... Uh, I want, uh, you know, I, I'm putting this short film on the road. I want to play it at your Fangoria conventions. You know, I'll pay to bring Linda Blair to New York. And, you know, if you have her as a guest, play my short, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So I agreed to it. Okay. Okay. So I said, okay, you sure you're going to pay for this, that, and that? And, uh, and Linda wants, uh, she wants a limo to pick her up at the airport. So, you know, you're going to take care of all this, Scott? And he says, yeah, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> okay. Of course, he reneged on everything. No. And uh, well, not everything. He he paid for airfare, blah blah blah. But when Linda's flight, uh, actually, she even called me before the the show to say she had some. You know, she had this 
nightmare that there wasn't going to be a, a car to meet her at the airport. Okay. And I assured her, of course, Linda, don't worry. There'll be a car to pick you up at the airport. Scott's taking care of everything. We're going to have a car for you. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. Well, I should never have trusted this guy because he was a flim flam artist. So yeah. that afternoon, you know, the, the, before the show starts, I got an angry call from Linda yeah. Blair sounding just like she did in The Exorcist when she was possessed. <laughs> Screaming that the limousine wasn't there to pick her up in the air at the airport. Oh like, no! And uh, but it wasn't my fault. And then, no, of course it wasn't. Uh, it was this other guy's fault. And th and and then a similar thing happened uh, again. It had nothing to do with me, but it's like every time I try to get involved with Linda, some other guy would m mess things up, and so she wound up with a really bad impression of me because of these. Uh, of these, course. These well, con artists. unfortunately, and and, and it's, it, it was almost like a uh, evil spirit was trying to interfere with. Uh, I think sorry, so. It's really bad. Sorry, <laughs> but yeah, and I'm sure. Oh my gosh, I'm sure there was many of those moments where you're like, oh, this person didn't come through, or this thing canceled, and I got to fill time. And I can only imagine behind the scenes is super stressful. Mm -hmm. um, you never seem. You never seemed that way. <laughs> and I will. And I. And I. That's the God's honest truth. And I would always say that to my brother, Eric, I'd say, Tony's just like, he's so cool about everything. Like if something happened on stage or there's a weird interaction or whatever, you know, I, weird <laughs> fans or who knows what, and I'm sure that runs the gamut. And that's mm -hmm. another, that's a tell all book. You could do some way, some uh -huh. day down the road. Uh, but you always handled it so gracefully. And oh, I think that, that was, yeah, you're welcome. I think there was always, that was one of the appeals um, of who you are as a person. Uh-huh. Like, it reminds me of uh, when I was coming up to L.A. on the plane um, during the flight, you know, I, I slept for three hours. I wake up and, and I'm heading towards the bathroom and this, this big Australian guy grabs my arm and he says, you got a great aura. <laughs> and, and, and I thought he said horror. I, and I'm trying to figure, does, does he know who I am? I yeah, got a right. great aura. So I said, what? He says, you got a great aura. <laughs> He said, aura, aura. So, so, oh, he said, aura. So then I rub his shoulder because, oh, here, let me sprinkle some on you. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> so well, maybe it's my aura that I you think, were seeing on stage I there. I think, yeah, uh, it was your aura. You know, you just exactly. exude that, uh, that positivity. <laughs> I think, you know, it's funny that you say that because not that I'm Australian with the, with the aura, but... Uh, I don't know if that was an Australian accent or a British accent. You would know better than me. I, it, was right? a, it was a hybrid. Oh, yeah. Maybe New Zealand, perhaps. <laughs> my, but that's how he said it. My Brit, it's funny. My British sounds pretty much all over the map. It's like, are you doing Cockney? Or are you doing Manchester? What's going on here? So come on. Just hone in on one. But that's not bad. I'm impressed, I'm impressed with that. Hey, everybody. Corey here. I just wanted to let you know that we'll be right back after these short messages. I'm Adam. And I'm Corey. And we are the hosts of Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast. We are breaking down every single episode of Seinfeld as we watch it, reliving this amazing show. That's right. It's a trip down memory lane for all of us 90s kids out there. You can find Cartwright, a Seinfeld podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, and Patreon. La la la. Hey everybody, welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim. 
And with me today in studio is co-host Oh, hey, Dean. hey, Tim. Dean. Huh? Uh, this isn't a full episode. This is actually just an ad. All we have to do is tell everyone that our podcasts come out on Mondays and they can find us on their favorite podcatcher. If they're into movies, comics, or video games, they should definitely check us out. Oh, well then, thanks everybody for listening and we'll catch you next time. Talking back. Hello everybody, I'm Adam. I'm John. And every week we are giving you a blast from our past. We are the podcast that brings you full-on movie breakdowns, TV show reviews, album reviews, top tens, and more, all from the things of our nostalgic past. So please join us every single week on the Blast From Our Past podcast. You can find us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, however you listen to podcasts, you can find us, and we would love to have you take a trip with us to the land of nostalgia. And now, back to the show. Your your aura, if you will, uh, speaks volumes. I think, and people really resonate with that. Um, my wife could tell you, you know, she she could. You don't read auras, do you, French? Uh, I mean, I know when I'm around good energy. Oh, oh, thank you. (laughs) Again, we are uh, we are on location, if you will, and in sunny Santa Monica. But and you're out in Santa Monica this week mm-hmm. for the AFMs. The, That's right. Uh, it stands for American American Film? Film Market. Okay, and you've been doing that for a few years now, right? Yeah, I've been doing it since '97, '98. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. Okay, a long so time. how did you get linked up with that? Um, I uh, the great thing about working at Fangoria is like all these opportunities just fell in my lap. You know, yeah. first I get the dream job, and then every so often I get a phone call because that you know I was sort of Mr. Hara. And uh, people would approach me, give, you know, give me offers to do other things. Hey, do you want to work on uh, the Horror Hall of Fame TV special? Cool. Or, uh, then, the, the, you know, hey, Tony, uh, I'm an agent. Do you want to write books for me? Uh, movie books? Sure, you know. And then one day, uh, some you know guys running a film festival in Montreal contacted me, um, who I'd met at, at a Fangoria convention in Toronto. So wow. these guys came down from Montreal and saying, hey, we're doing a, uh, a festival, a horror, science fiction, fantasy action festival. Called Fantasia, Fantasia, right? yeah. Do you want to come cover it for Fangoria? You know, maybe consult on it, whatever. So, you know, this is like 1997, 98. And, you know, I went up to the festival. It was the second year of the festival. And, and um, yeah, I met the president of the festival and he hired me that that's summer to say, hey, I want you to be my American connection, help us book movies. Because uh, I had done this for another festival in Europe, uh, uh, in Milan, Italy. Uh, so so I, I've ha- I had experience working on film festivals. So this guy said, hey, look, I want you to do the same thing for me. Uh, you'll be my American connection. And, uh, and part of that job description is going to film markets and other film festivals scouting for movies. So that's why I come to the American film market every year. Cool. Watching you know, a minimum of four movies a day. And trying to find some good releases, good films to, you know, book into the film festival every July in Montreal, Fantasia. Are are you looking, so you're looking specifically for genre movies then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. No, you know, uh, no dramas. They're horror, science fiction, fantasy, action, culty kind of films. And, and, and... I mean, it's a lot. We could probably this would be a three-hour conversation, but the landscape of horror sci-fi has changed so much. Oh, it sure has, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we on our podcast we specifically talk about 
movies from our childhood or that we fondly remember. Mm -hmm. And so movies from the 70s, late 70s, early 80s, up to the early 90s. And, but it has changed so much in the past 20 years. Mm -hmm. Horror films went from going into more of a dramatic thriller, right? Mm -hmm. But, and they seem to be kind of coming back more into horrific, traditional. Um, but you've seen just this up and down cycle, right? In right, the past 20 right. years. It's just amazing. Well, there's no downtime in horror anymore. Yeah. Um, back in the 80s and 90s, we'd, we would go through spells at Fangoria where there would be no major horror releases, no horror TV shows. There would be these real fallow periods where we'd put like Batman Returns on the cover. Or I remember. Adam's Family, you know. I we, remember. We, we, <laughs> you know, some, you know, some months we'd be pulling our hair out. We couldn't find, you know, enough content. Now yeah. it's an embarrassment of riches. Every weekend there's new horror releases. Every day new horror movies dropping on Netflix. Horror conventions in every city. Horror TV shows streaming on cable. Shutter, on network right? TV. Yeah, streaming service like Shudder brings horror into your living room 24-7. It's just, like I say, it's an embarrassment of riches. Horror fans are really blessed today. Any movie they want to watch, they don't, they don't have to chase down bootleg videotapes and black yeah. market DVDs. They, they could download it on their you know, on their phones. Yeah, you know? they could watch it uh, you know, on their tablet. They could watch it on their TV. And and everybody's producing horror now. It's it's not a it's you know, it's not a niche market anymore. It's now a mainstream market. It's just it's just incredible. Uh, if uh, you know. Now, they, the guy who's editing Fangori, each you know, each issue, there's probably 15 things he could put on the cover. I was lucky if I had just one thing that month to put on the cover. You know, now there's just so there's just so much content. I Maybe was, too much content. I, I for one, I can't keep up with it all. I was gonna say, uh, I think one of the appeals for this podcast for myself is because we're going down memory lane. We're watching movies we watched, loved as a kid. There's so much now. People mm -hmm. say, oh, did you see the new uh, movie that's kind of like your next? No, I didn't see that. Oh, did you watch the new show on Netflix, The House on Haunted yeah. Hill? No, I didn't. I saw the new season of Stranger Things. Uh, like, and it's like, so I'm having to focus in on, and maybe that's also being a parent. It's hard to, you know, mm -hmm. I got to compartmentalize everything. Right. Um, but yeah, there's there's such a onslaught of everything. You know, yeah, you talked about yeah. uh, the wrestling magazine back in the day wrestling has exploded in its own way and like there's just accessibility for every right. uh genre or um niche that mm. people love right it, it, there's something for everybody out there right. and it seems like yeah uh, fangoria when they re-released their magazine um halloween was on the cover right michael yes. myers was on the premiere issue yep. and and i remember it was so cool to see that because here is an icon from our generation right mm. <laughs> the late 70s, early 80s, and, uh, and to this day, so relevant. Right. Right. And yeah, so 40 years later, over 40 years later. It's amazing. Relevant. And you think about, like, there is so much, maybe an oversaturation, mm -hmm. um, but but yet the timeless ones, the things mm -hmm. that that stood the test of time are right. still standing the yeah, test of time. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's, you know, because there's such a saturation I don't think any like thing has staying power like it did in the the old days. Yeah, you know where uh, everybody would be talking about 
you know, The Exorcist or Jaws or Evil Dead for years and years, you know, and, and, and you know, Michael and Freddy and Jason, and, you know, you, you, these characters, they, they, you couldn't let go of them, you know. Now it's such a, an assembly line of product that it's hard to it's hard to build cults around the movies like like we did when we were kids. Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of sad. Like, you know, I see it, like these great horror movies like the witch and it follows and uh, oh i love it follows um yeah. uh, hereditary you know so you know they they come out they play theaters for you know a few weeks and they do decent business and then then they go to dvd and vod and then the next one comes along and you know they kind of get forgotten because they, they it's like this constant assembly line this machine that's yeah. feeding the pipeline that you know these movies don't really uh, i don't think they have the impact like they did in the old days where you know, you would be waiting weeks for something to come out and you ran out on opening night and waited online for hours to see see a new movie. And is now it's just, you know, there's just so much stuff and so many ways to see it. I think it's sort of lost some of its staying power and some of the, you know, these, you know, the, these cults that would build around these characters and movies and things like that. So I think that's, it's kind of sad that that's been lost. It is sad. I, I totally agree. And, and, do you have any inkling of what might be the next big thing? What's going to be the next, mm. um, you know, Michael Myers or, or Freddy Krueger or, you know, we had Jigsaw for quite some time, but I right. don't feel like it that necessarily has stood the test of time. I guess mm. there's a there's a rumor that there's going to be another Scream movie coming out and and mm. uh, and, and I, hope <laughs> I hope not too, but I don't feel like that was an iconic character. Per se, right? Do, right. do you have the, Do you have any sort of inkling of what might be the next thing? No, not really. I, you know, they, um, you know, they they just keep recycling. You know, the old old characters. You know, there's two more Halloween movies coming out. There's a new Candyman movie coming out. Yeah, they just they did a second remake of Black Christmas coming out. You know? Yeah, so I don't understand uh, that at all. Yeah, so instead of creating these new new franchise characters it seems like they're more interested in going after the tried and true you know they've been there's going to be more friday the 13th movies there was another you know there was another text chainsaw massacre movie out last year so it's just a matter that you know they just want to keep regurgitating the past and then then i they should be developing new characters and and they really aren't there's one i saw in montreal last summer called the wretched which was about a witch who has franchise possibilities and i know the filmmakers would like to do more of them okay but again it's an independent film and you know it'll get bought by an ifc or or whatever and you know that they're not interested in the long term they just want to you know oh we need a movie to plug into july in our vod folder here here we go here's here's the wretched yeah you know or or whatever else um so they they're not really uh, taking the time to, to to build these films into these cultural phenomenas that they used to be in the past were you surprised with hollow the success that halloween had i was i was couldn't believe how huge it was you know over a hundred million dollars that uh, i you know it did an incredible business um until it came well uh, it also was a huge success yeah you know doing number doing like superhero movie numbers <laughs> you know <laughs> And I was, you know, I loved the new Halloween. Yeah, I thought. Me too. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a great story. I'm a little nervous that because yeah, I thought that was kind of, uh, you know, they wrapped things up pretty neatly. It was nice having Jamie Lee back, uh, just like H2O kind of wrapped things up really nicely. But nope, we're gonna, re, you know, reboot it again. So yeah. there's two more coming out. 
So, uh, I mean, that's going to be a real challenge because, uh, you know, the, the last movie was great. I thought it was the second, you know, the best one after Carpenter's original. I agree. I, I was I was having um, not a debate per se, but just a discussion with my co-host about how I I had recently rewatched Halloween 2. There's a great um, annual film festival here in Santa Monica. Mm-hmm. It's called the Horror Thon. They oh, show yeah. seven movies over the uh, from seven o'clock at night till seven in the morning. Wow! And and it's a little bit of well known to stuff you found underneath your creepy uncle's uh, bedpost or something, <laughs> you know. And so one of the they showed Halloween two this year, wow. and I hadn't seen Halloween two on screen since shoot in 20 years you know mm-hmm. uh and i remember i lo- i really enjoyed it this time around mm-hmm. because i felt like it really closed the chapter on michael myers right you know uh loomis dies mm-hmm. michael dies uh <laughs> and gets blown up and it's important because you find out in that sequel that he he has a sister right, right. It, it really that's ties why targeted you know Jamie Lee Curtis's character. Yeah, exactly. It all makes sense because I think oftentimes people go, oh, that sequel's not a good sequel, whatever. Uh, I feel like it's very important. It's very relevant. And so watching it this time around thinking, okay, yeah, they should just, they could close the door. Like that was Mm -hmm. fine. I think that was what I loved about John Carpenter movies so much is that he didn't make a sequel oftentimes, you know, everyone said, well, why don't you make a sequel to the thing? Why don't you make a sequel to Prince of Darkness or Mm -hmm. Escape from New York, which he did obviously. Um, But at the, but he shouldn't have, have, you know, and and I think he would even say that too. He'd go, Mm -hmm. well, you know, I like my movies to be open-ended. He, I remember Mm -hmm. he said that at the convention. I like giving the viewer the idea of, well, what's going to happen next? You know, they're Mm -hmm. making another big trouble in little China movie. And, which I guess is going to be a sequel, and Kurt Russell's going to be in that as well. Wow, and I didn't so, really know that. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a little bit. Uh, Zach um, Ward just shared that with me oh. in another interview that I did because uh, he's working on a movie with James Hong, who's ninety years old, wow. by the way, which is pretty amazing. Um, and it's kind of a Goonies meets Big Trouble in Little China. And uh, so he thought, oh, with perfect timing with the trailer release next year of the new Big Trouble at Comic-Con, why not kind of bookend it? But, you know, this idea that, like, let's just let these movies kind of sit, mm-hmm. and that's it. Right. But obviously that changed with Jaws back in the day. Mm-hmm. Jaws, I think, was the first sequel, right? I don't, I'm not, I might be speaking out no, of turn. But... No, there were other, you know, Planet of the Apes was, okay. you know, the, uh, horror-wise, maybe, well, the Quater Mass movies, the Hammer, yeah, if you look at the Universal Monsters, but they just didn't put Roman numerals. That's true. Them. Yeah. Well, Quatermass too did, um, but yeah, they just were new, you know, adventures of these characters. You know, like Frankenstein, yeah. Bride of Frankenstein, Son of Frankenstein, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But you know, they weren't thought of as sequels in 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 that sense in those days. There's more just. You know the next chapter, the next movie, or whatever. Yeah, that's true. I guess that was a, that's an interesting way to look at it. They didn't, yeah, they didn't put a number on it, right? And they didn't kind of rehash the same story. Well, right. I guess they maybe did in some way, but it just didn't feel that like it was a rehash. And right. Jaws two, and it's it, it it's just kind of a continuation of, uh-huh. I guess. So yeah, right. maybe it was the first continuation of the character. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it's interesting how here we are in 2019, and we've got Halloween. As as one of the and it, which was a book that was written in the eighties, right? Mm-hmm. And and we've got these characters that have really stood the test of time, right? And we've got some fun genre movies like The Witch and Hereditary, and like mm-hmm. you said, it, it follows. And um, I really like, like Your Next. I thought it was mm-hmm. a really yeah, genuinely good was, movie. Was a good uh, yeah, right. And in kind of in kind of 
twisted things around a little mm-hmm. bit. So yes. maybe that's the and th- those all feel like independent films to me. Mm-hmm. Um, is that the way you think it's going now? It's, as far as like quality films are concerned, is it still going to be like more of an indie? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the studios, you know, the It movies were both made by Warner Brothers. Um, and I, I thought, you know, both It movies were really good. And Halloween was made by Universal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still, the, you know, a lot of the best stuff tends to come out of, you know, the, the, from the independent scene. Like, you know, because they don't have all the, you know, all the, the, the gatekeepers like at the studios. So, yeah. you know, so the, the filmmakers have a little more opportunity to... to have their vision undiluted if they shoot make their films independently. Yeah, uh, but all the, you know, all the studios are making horror films. But you know, there's a Screen Gems at Sony that they churn. You know, they do a few horror movies a year. Blumhouse, of course, Blumhouse. is just a, you know a factory that every few months is a new Blumhouse horror movie coming out. So it yeah, it's it's a big business. They, they they have these pipelines they have to fill, and they just keep you know pounding and. Putting the stuff out like so much sausage. And- well, <laughs> that's hilarious. I I remember when um, back in the '90s, and they said the western is dead. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no no more westerns are going to come out from here on out. And I remember when Scream came out, and they said this is going to be the end of the slasher movie. Right, right. right. No more slasher movies. Uh, I forget what zombie movie had come out. And they said, nope, no more zombie movies. Mm-hmm. And here yeah, we are. Yeah, you know, yeah. once again, I think people are current, starting to say that with with Walking Dead. They're saying, okay, well, we're starting to walk towards the deadline of the zombie. <laughs> uh, but it's still the number one show on, hey, on, on TV, you know, right? cable TV, Walking Dead after 10 seasons. And the numbers are down, but people are still watching in record numbers. So, um, yeah. Yeah. People are just obsessed with this stuff. They can't get enough of it. Do you think people are also obsessed with wanting to bring something down, like bring a genre yeah, down? Yeah, I right? think so. Yeah, when something is successful, people can't help but knock it. I remember yeah. when I was editing Fangoria. You know, each year there was a new nightmare in Elm Street movies, and each one would be a hit. Yeah, and you know, and, and a year later there'd be another one. But we'd always get this hate mail from you know a, a small percentage of the readership. Who get upset every time we put Freddy Krueger on the cover, and you know they, or and, and that there was another sequel coming out, even though they, they, they were legitimately fun little horror movies that were creative and well produced, et cetera, et cetera. But you know we'd get the, these hate letters; they just hated Freddy, and I think part of it was because Freddy was becoming more and more mainstream. Do you know me? I travel all over the world, and the underworld too. Constantly searching for new dreamscapes to invade. Believe it or not, some people still don't recognize me. That's why I carry this. (laughs) And this Friday, I'll be traveling to your neighborhood in Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. I'll be looking for you, so you'd better be there. Now, up next, it's... (laughs) Vinyls, <laughs> you know. Yeah, he was doing music videos, music videos <laughs> and things like that. So I have toys of him and when TV I TV shows, <laughs> yeah. and you know, there was, there was all the licensing that came out of it. So people, you know, the fans got a little disgusted when Freddie wasn't just for them anymore. That yeah. you know, it was reaching beyond just them. But 
you know, uh, come on, you could share. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and there's, there's, I, I, that's, I think that's the frame of mind I'm in now. It's like, let's just enjoy what we have while we right. have it. Right. Yeah. It's there a, do you have a favorite, um, iconic horror character? Who's your favorite? Hmm. Gee, I might go back to the universal characters, okay. you know, Frankenstein and the Wolfman, Creature from the Black Lagoon, those characters which are just so iconic, the makeup designs, the, you know, the production designs of the, those movies, uh, everything about them, the black and white photography. That's awesome. It's, you know, I just saw Bride of Frankenstein on, on the big screen for the first time. Really? In Sleepy Hollow, New York at a horror uh, film festival. And, mm. And the, and the film hasn't aged a day. It's to, it's just so wonderful. So it's it's funny. It's scary. It's twisted and um, subversive. It's such a great film. And and that makeup, that Jack Pierce makeup, it's just the way it has stood the test of time. It's, you know, I see people, young people at the Fangoria conventions or the Monster Palooza conventions with, you know, Frankenstein monster yeah. tattoos and. It says a um, lot. Yeah, yeah. These characters. So I, I grew up with those characters. I still love those movies. I love the Hammer versions of you know Frankenstein and and uh, Dracula that that they did, and and I love the the modern movies too. I love Nightmare on Elm Street. It's one of my favorites, and um, you know, you know all the the, the you know the the uh, a lot of the slasher films. A lot of the slasher films I w- I kind of looked down upon in the eighties. You yeah. know, I always felt that I was uh, you know. I had more sophisticated taste. You know, my friends wanted to go see Friday the 13th, but I wanted to see The Shining because it was Stanley Kubrick, you know. Yeah. And but the, the Friday the 13th was the movie that everybody talked about in the schoolyard the next day. And no, you know, nobody really cared about The Shining or, or they went and they were bored, you know. Well, more people were saying wanting to do the uh, ch ch yeah, versus, right. uh, you know, t- uh, Tommy, Tommy lives in my belly or whatever. You know? uh, right. <laughs> so red rum, I guess. But if you look at it now, uh, Dr. Sleep just came out uh-huh. and that seems to be is getting a lot of good pro- positive reviews. Yeah, and, uh, I haven't seen it yet. I'm um, embarrassed. I've been so wrapped up at the AFM. Uh, I didn't get to see it before I left. Uh, but I, you know, I like that director. You know, people always saying, "Oh, there's no more masters of horror." Yeah, but yeah. there are. This guy, Mike Flanagan, who directed Doctor Sleep, mm-hmm. he also did Gerald's Game. He did The Haunting mm-hmm. of Hill House miniseries. Oh wow! He's done, okay, he's done a lot of. He's every movie he's done has been in the horror genre. So th- there's a guy right there, you know, who, uh, you know, people should embrace, and they're, they're out there. They are out there. I think that. Um... I think Halloween, the newest Halloween was proof positive that there's a new generation that wants to make this entertaining. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be honest. When I saw, um, uh, you know, the people associated with with, um, Halloween being the the, the masterminds behind Eastbound and Down. Right. And I Pineapple th- Express. Like, sign and... me up, you know? <laughs> I, I had no problem with that. I know initially, you know, there were some people that were nervous about that. And I thought, look, that's, those are the people, they love movies. Right. I think the, right. the filmmakers who love what they do, going back to talking about what we, doing what mm-hmm. you love, it's going to exude this aura. Mm-hmm. You know, see how I brought that back into the fold. I'm going to bring that up one more time later. But uh, no, um, so so on post- on podcasting after dark, we've we've tend to go with more not mainstream horror, but more um, lesser known titles. And I'm wondering if I throw out a few of these names of these movies, it, what your thoughts might be sure. on some of them. So, sure. um, and if you go to podcastingafterdark.com, they're all up on there. 
But we, the first one we did was Heavy Metal. Columbia Pictures presents Heavy Metal. A trip beyond the future to a universe you've never seen before. A universe of mystery. A universe of passionate fantasies. A universe of terrifying evil. A universe of magic. Heavy Metal. Oh, yeah. I saw that in the theater when it first came out. Yep. And and obviously there's a horror element to heavy metal with the, mm-hmm. the zombie episode. Right. Um, do you have any, uh, you know, any thoughts on heavy metal itself? Um, well, to be honest with you, I saw it on opening night in the theater in Times Square. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, yeah, I was pretty stoned, so I really don't remember <laughs> much more. <laughs> My co-host would, uh, would concur with that. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember too much about heavy metal. And I've never seen it, seen it since. It went into limbo for decades yeah. uh, and you couldn't you know it wasn't available on, on cable or dvd or anything so I, i've never revisited it so it's worth but I revisiting. Just remember feeling really good when i did see it. <laughs> <laughs> i think my you know i think you'll get along with Corey when you meet him one of these days but uh because you, you could share that story uh class in 1984 class of 1984 Class of 1984. Their only goal is power. I run this school, man. Their only law is survival. If you want to survive around here, you have got to learn to look the other way. Their only allegiance is to themselves. Still believe in all that bullshit that holds it together. I pledge allegiance! Wise. You'd have done me right. Like this. He tried to kill me! Somebody's got to stop this insanity. Well, you simply cannot afford to fail this class. Now, what is the answer? I am the future. I am the future. I am the future. But you've taught before, and nothing like this has ever happened. All right, I got to deal with it. Who's going to protect you? He's one man trained to deal with students, but they've pushed him to the limit. They've gone too far. Now he's going to give the class of 1984 the lesson they deserve. Class of 1984, is this the future? Take a look at my face, I've been locked in the future. 
1982, Tom Holland film. <clears throat> uh, right. Yeah, Tom. Uh, he wrote it. He wrote it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good, solid B movie. Yep. Early role for Michael J. Fox. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it's, yeah, it's a fun, yeah, it's a fun movie. Not necessarily a horror per se, more right. of a thriller drama. Right, I guess right. I would say it was an after school special gone wrong. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like that there was a, a, a sequel that came out many years later, class of 1999. Yes. Where they had robot teachers. And yes. I thought that was a lot of fun too. I thought it was. Yeah, it's actually Pam Greer in it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Pam Greer and Malcolm McDowell. Malcolm McDowell and uh, Patrick Kilpatrick. <laughs> yes. So, oh yeah, gosh. that was a fun movie. Yeah, where the, the robots, uh, you know, actually kill the students, the teachers. <laughs> yeah, right. It was the yeah. it was the flip side to yeah, uh, yeah. Class of 1984. So one of Corey's favorites all time is Hardware. The Earth died quickly after the Great War. The seas were deserts of radioactive dust. The skies choked by clouds of poison gas. But beyond the wastelands, a few survived to return to the cities. Where deep in a matrix of flesh and metal, men discovered that a new enemy had been born. Hardware. Now in the 21st century, the experiment is out of control. Us Magazine gives it three and a half stars and calls it as terrifying as Alien, as disturbing as 1984. WOR says the most thought-provoking film since A Clockwork Orange. And Fangoria Magazine calls it the best science fiction horror film of the year. Hardware. You can't stop progress. Yeah, Hardware is, is a terrific, terrific movie directed by Richard Stanley. A big fan of that movie. And... Um, when the film was uh, first put up in front of the MPAA, it got this was before the, we had an A for adult rating. It got it kept getting an X rating. Wow! For the violence and yeah. the you know the the, the studio the Mir Miramax the the Weinstein's uh, uh, they you know they wanted to uh, appeal the rating. And they decided uh, to use me as an expert wit witness. Oh, really? Yeah. And it was wild. <laughs> I was actually on vacation. I was at a bed and breakfast in the Poconos. Okay. But had no telephones. Wow. And somehow they tracked me down. And, you know, the innkeeper had a phone. They tracked me down to this B&B. &B, and I said, when could you get back to New York? We want you to uh, argue for our film. We'll send a limousine to pick you up. And, you know, we need you, Tony. You're our only hope. You know? How in the hell oh, did they find you? I, to this day, I don't know how they found me. But anyway. Uh, well, it is the Weinstein's. But I did get back. Yeah, they have, you know, they have friends they in have high places. They have connections. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, so I uh, go to back to New York. And, um, you know, they had a screening of the film. And after the film was over, I had to speak in front of the this this board of the you know these men and women who were the ones who rate the movies. Wow! Uh, and the parole if, board of yeah, the, basically <laughs> of movies. And and if you know anything about the uh, the history of Fangoria in the eighties, like every other editorial I was writing was you know anti MPAA because back in those days, this is another reason why horror films are so lucky today. The MPAA had a you know had a bone against horror movies, especially independent horror films. They were always 
you know, they always had to cut out the good parts. You know, Wes Craven was always targeted, Brian De Palma. Mm. You know, there was always these nightmare stories. Angel Heart is another good example of the Mickey Rourke movie. And they always Love had to movie. cut. Yeah, they always had to cut footage out to get to secure an R rating. So I, was always, I print the address in, in Fangoria. Here's the address of the MPAA. Write to them. Tell them you want a, a rating just for horror movies. That's awesome. And, and things like that. So tell them to you know, give horror films a break, blah, blah, blah. So, so before, I go up in front of the MPA, and, and the first, thing, the first per- person I see is the, the, the chairman in the MPA, this guy Richard Hefner at the time. And uh, he introduce, someone introduces me to him, and he says, I'm glad I finally get to meet the man responsible for all my mail. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's what he said. Oh, my yeah. gosh. What happens ne- what happened next? Oh, then, well, then I, they ushered me into the room, and I had to defend hardware. Uh, but it didn't work. The film still got an X rating, and oh. they had to cut out like 10 seconds of a character getting chopped in half. Yep. By elevator doors, which is now available on the, the yeah uncut, uncut. Uh, Blu-ray from um, from Severin, I think. Yeah, yeah, Severin, yeah, yeah. So that that's my hardware story, and I've become wow. really good friends of the director since then, Richard Stanley. Yeah, who uh, you know had a lot of bad luck in in the business. He got fired from Ireland to Doctor Moreau. Another movie he did called Dust Devil never yep. really got much play, uh, but he's back in a big way. He just directed Nicolas Cage in a new version of uh, H.P. Lovecraft story, Color. Color out of the color out of space. I saw the trailer. It looks amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really love the last Nick Cage movie he did Mandy, called Mandy. Yeah, that was excellent. I yes. feel like that is probably uh, for me is is if the, if that's where the genre is headed, sign me up because yeah. that's I could see that I could watch that all day. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the trailer looks phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, I hear real good things about it, so I'm excited that Richard's finally getting his day in the sun again after. 20 plus years well you know he made that documentary i'm sure you've yeah, seen yeah yeah he's done documentaries he did a you know a couple of short films that were part of anthologies yep uh but now yeah this is his first feature uh in you know since probably dust devil wow yeah. wow yeah in that in the documentary that he was in uh it's really good uh-huh. and i i have a lot of sympathy for him as as a as a filmmaker because it just he 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 reminded me of uh, Jodorowsky in a, in a way because right. they, just this idea of like people just didn't understand what his vision was and and they it's uh, the studio just wanted seemed like they wanted to hire just practice anybody they didn't want to put his vision on the screen uh, that you know ultimately they settled with Frankenheimer who was at the Fangoria convention yes, the, I remember yes, promoting that's it right, that's uh, right. and I remember saying to my brother I'm like oh I don't know if this is going to be as good as. Uh, Frankenheimer is purporting it to be. <laughs> Frankenheimer came back with Ronin, I think, a year later. Yeah, was, that was a much better movie. Yeah, because yeah. that was his genre, right? But, right, right. But, um, but I, yeah. Island of Doctor was a real train wreck. It's a real train wreck. It's such a sad story. And especially, and I think ultimately at the end of the day, it's Richard Stanley who suffered the most for yeah, that. Because yeah, his nobody career, would hire him after no. that. You know, it was, real, it was a disaster. Well, he was just at Beyond Fest uh, here mm-hmm. in L.A. Uh, promoting uh. it. And they, they premiered it there with... Um, um, oh gosh, I'm blanking on his Elijah name. Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood right. was there because he's one of the producers of it as well, I mm-hmm. think. And uh, I just love that. I love and Elijah Wood did Maniac a few years ago. Yeah, I think he loves pre- horror. Yeah, he's a so huge cool. Fan. Yeah. So it's great to hear that uh, Richard Stanley's back. And thank you for sharing that story with us. I mm-hmm. don't think we would have heard that anywhere else. And yeah, I remember that was going back to you printing ads in the magazine about the MPAA. You've always been somewhat. You've been, been an activist for mm-hmm. the genre right. and mm-hmm. like really a proponent of getting 
um, you know, battling the people that say this is not something we want to show people. That's and, right. Yeah, you know, in the back in the uh, '80s, uh, you know, horror was targeted. Well, first they went after albums, record, rock and roll. You know, they they made the rap artists and the heavy metal people put warning stickers on their records. They tried, you know. Uh, the, the, Tip of Gore and those people, the Parents Music Resource Center, yep, yep. you know, they, they and they got all these sweeping changes in the record industry. So then after they done with they were done with that, they decided, oh, let's go after horror films now because back then there was a video store on every corner, yep. and even though the video boxes had ratings on them, you know, some you know thirteen year olds would rent Faces of Death and. <laughs> bring it home for the sleepover with their kids or with their friends and the parents would see it and get upset and stuff like that. So they started going after horror movies and this has to be enforced at the stores and, uh, you know, they, they want more stricter labeling and blah, blah, blah. And for, for me, I always thought of labeling as the first stage in censorship. Yep. And that's what happened with the record albums because Walmart wouldn't cover, it would carry... Yeah, you know, and uh, say NWA is it? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, they wouldn't carry the, their records with the because the, they had warning stickers on them because it was like a red flag. Yeah, and yeah, you know, I didn't want to see that happen to Horace. So Blockbuster uh, did that too. Blockbuster Video. Yeah, you had had to be rated or yeah. they wouldn't carry it. So uh, I, I kind of went on a, a crusade, sort of by uh, by accident, because a lot of these. Uh, public affairs shows would put me on them like Geraldo and there was one in uh, Washington called Town Meeting, most infamously the Morton Downey Jr. show, <laughs> you know, CBS Evening News, Nightline. Wow. I'd, yeah. I'd go on all these shows to defend horror movies and, you know, basically saying, hey, this is entertainment, you know. This is just like the movies our parents grant, grew up with, but, but more sophisticated special effects. And uh, it's so funny, you know, like that the stuff they were getting upset with, you know, in these R-rated movies is you see more extreme stuff on national TV now yeah. or on American Horror Story or even a TV show like Supernatural where, you know, monsters are getting decapitated yeah. every week and at well, Walking Dead where yeah. guts are spilling out. Stuff that Romero, you know, have to release unrated. He couldn't get an R rating. They do every week on yeah. Walking Dead, the, the most extreme zombie mayhem. That uh, It's just amazing how times change, I was standards gonna, change. I was going to say that Walking Dead, I, I've seen, and I love Walking Dead. I really do. I've got nothing negative to say about it. Um, but I, I, I've never seen that level of violence. Uh-huh. Uh, possibly ever in right. anything else and that is yeah it's on television I don't care if it's cable and you gotta pay for it but it's still on TV yeah. prime and time it's, a, it's not premium cable no. either it's, it's, you know it's not like HBO com you know yeah. it's com it has commercials so uh, we're a ticket we're a movie theater and you have to buy a ticket yeah, to go to the, yeah. see the thing and yeah I know a movie recently was pulled by Universal um, because of right. the current shootings and, and obviously hunt. yeah The Hunt uh -huh. which I saw the trailer I'm I'm looking forward to watching it when it comes out right. I hope it sees the light of day because it looks like a fun kind of surviving the game right. Um, uh, right. most dangerous, most dangerous game, game kind right. of a, a storyline which mm -hmm. I've always been fascinated by I love that that mm -hmm. idea um, so we're still kind of battling with that yeah right? uh-huh absolutely um but hardware yeah this yeah. is what you want this is what you get <laughs> so <laughs> you're obviously a fan of that film mm -hmm. that's one of Corey's favorite my co-host Corey oh. is one of his favorite movies of all time wow he absolutely adores that movie and his uh he actually his take on that movie became 
made me enjoy it more because he analyzed it so much. He created a whole multiverse underneath the actual oh. story itself. So I knowing that with his lens that he watched it with made me enjoy it more. <laughs> and so the flip side of that is Fright Night is one of my all-time favorite yeah, horror yes. films, favorite films in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, he and I and I was able to kind of sway him cuz he was not as big of a fan as I am. <laughs> What's your take on Fright Night? No one believed Charlie's neighbor was a vampire. Help me, Charlie! He bit me! Until it was too late. Now, Charlie has to find a way to stop him. You're Peter Vincent, ready to do battle with the undead. <laughs> Beware of the evil that awaits you on Fright Night. Friday night at 8 on Q13. Uh, I always thought that was a fun film, but I, I could give you my fright. I have a good fright night uh, anecdote. Please. Yeah. Uh, it was the summer of 1984. I was at Fangoria for maybe three weeks, and uh, Columbia Pictures had decided to hold a screening just for Fangoria and Starlog in their swanky screening room on Fifth Avenue. Okay? Wow, nice. In the middle of the day, so you know, the Starlog and Fangoria crew just goes into the screening room and we're taking up the whole room. And I was like this 22-year-old punk. And I, you know how people talk back to the screen and stuff like that, tried to impress their friends. But anyway, yeah. <clears throat> uh, so we're all sitting in the theater in the screening room, but just before the movie starts, I was at the, uh, the, the uh, one seat from the end of a, a particular row, but a, a guy sits down next to me, and I didn't know who it was, right? So the movie's playing, and I'm making cracks and stuff like that. We all were, but we, we're all loving the movie. It's not like we would we weren't enjoying it. Yeah. So then the character of uh, Evil Ed is on screen, and, you know, he's just re- really obnoxious, right? Yeah. So when Stephen Jeffrey's Evil Ed, when he becomes a vampire, I shout out, He's even more obnoxious as a vampire than when he was a human. Right? Okay. So <laughs> everybody hilarious. cracks up. Okay, so the lights go up. Uh, the movie's over. And uh, I turn to the guy sitting next to me, and it's Stephen Jeffries. No! Yes, Stephen Jeffries. And I sink down in my seat, and I felt terrible. And he gets up and leaves. And I just felt so <laughs> awful that I, I said that, you know, that I, I knocked him, and he was sitting there. Yeah, okay? yeah. <clears throat> a week later, uh, um, I'm in New York City, and I'm, I'm in the uh, the West Village where there was a movie memorabilia store called uh, Jerry Olinger's, where I, I would go down and buy stills for the magazine, especially if we were doing a retrospective article. Okay. So anyway, so I'm on I'm, cool. I'm leaving the store. I'm walking down the street uh, along um, University Place, and all of a sudden, I see the guy uh, approaching me from the opposite direction. And it's Stephen Jeffries. Oh, a week later, and we're about to bunk into each other, you know. Yeah. So I said, and I felt awful for this whole, the, the whole week that's passed that oh, I no. did this to him. Oh, no. So I see him and I stop him. Hey, you're Stephen Jeffries. I saw you in Fright Night. I loved you. You were so great in that movie. And he says, oh, really? <laughs> Oh man, where did you see the movie? Oh, I saw it at a advanced screening. Oh, you're gonna be such a big star. You were so good in that movie. Thanks, man. That's so nice of you to say. Because he's a genuinely, from what I, I've, I've gathered, he's a genuinely good, nice person. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I, I finally felt, felt. Uh, this is you your know, redemption. My redemption. I felt <laughs> redeemed, and I could, I, I actually could sleep with a better conscience that night. Now but, after doing that, so. and he didn't recognize. He didn't. Re- he didn't recognize. 
recognized me. No, no. Because <laughs> maybe he was yeah. like, because he, because he seems kind of also like uh, shyish or uh-huh, reclusive, right, and right. so maybe he just you know wanted to get in and out. That's hilarious. Yeah. Because yeah, it's funny you say that because uh, Corey was talking about how on on his take on Fright Night was that uh, Charlie Brewster is a jerk. <laughs> and through the whole movie, he's a jerk to his his girlfriend. He's a jerk to his best friend, Evil, who he treats him terribly throughout. And I said, well, maybe my take on it was that Evil or Ed and Charlie were buddies since they were little kids. And so that's what you do is you get old. Some people do. You right, egg right. each other on and you're just like this relationship of like, I'm goofing on you. You goof on me kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so they, they still loved each other, but they right. just, you know, were beat each other up like brothers, I guess. Mm-hmm. So and then Evil Ed, obviously he just stood out to me watching it again I've watched that movie 30 times 40 times 50 times and watching it again Chris Sarandon obviously stands out to me as Mm -hmm. one of the most iconic vampires ever he was so good and his take on that was wanting to be a fruit bat like he had part of fruit like we we were talking (laughs) off air about genetics and 23 and me and he was thinking that in his lineage of um uh, was that there was a fruit bat somewhere in there. That's why he was eating his choice to eat fruit through the whole movie. Wow. And I thought that's a really interesting, cool little twist on the character. Mm-hmm. But but Stephen Jeffrey's Ed character, you know, obviously made, he it stayed, stood the test of time. Mm-hmm. You know, he, yes. he's looked upon as one of the most memorable kind of side characters in a movie. So. Uh, yeah. And of yeah. course, uh, you know, Peter Vincent, the great vampire killer. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the only character my son knows of that movie so far. Wow. But I don't call him the vampire killer because he's five. I say, well, he's the vampire hunter. Uh, and yeah. then I'll, the, the truth will come out later on. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, we just had Tom Matthews on a little while ago. Yeah, and we yeah. talked about Return of the Living Dead yeah, 1 and 2. Yeah. He's not a big fan of part 2. No, I don't blame him. Yeah, but uh, I, don't, I don't think there are any fans of part two. No, I don't think so either. It's terrible. It's a terrible film, yeah. but um, but it, but it has its moments that 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 glimmers of this hope, I think. Mm-hmm. But but specifically, Return of the Living Dead. Oh yeah, it's one of the best horror comedies of all time. They were resting in peace until they were rudely interrupted. What do you want to do, Scuds? Put on the gravestone. Just want a party. This place is a mess. Now look who's awake. They're on the way. They're back from the grave and ready to party. I I think things are getting out of here. The Return of the Living Dead. Rated R. You know, it added so much to zombie cinema. You know, the fact that, uh, that it was funny fact that the the zombies talked they wanted to eat brains and the, and the, the they took these old-time actors sort of like quentin tarantino does today like james karen clue Gulliger, uh don kalfa uh and they gave them these really uh, great roles and yeah. they were so legitimately really really funny really good character actor comedy bits uh, and the the camaraderie between tom matthews and james karen was was priceless it was just such a a fun movie, uh, you know. The, you don't give it crap about the kids in the movie. But you, you you want the camera to just stick with you know the mortician character and, and James Karen and uh, they they were just so memorable. So yeah, I love that movie. It's really entertaining. It's got great songs and. Yeah, definitely one of the be- best horror comedies of all time. Kind of came out of nowhere, right? Like- yeah, it did. It did. You know, it had been in development for a number of years. It okay. went through different directors, different writers. Originally, uh, uh, 
John Rousseau was involved, the co-creator of Night of the Living Dead. At one point, Toby Hooper was going to direct it um, until uh, Dan O'Bannon, who had written the screenplay, said, well, you can't get anybody else direct it. Let me do it. And he did a great job. Oh, wow. Yeah. So. I didn't know that. That's so yeah, cool. Yeah. It's yeah, it, it definitely is uh it's groundbreaking for its time. Yeah. I remember George Romero at another Fangoria screening and then or Fangoria Weekend of Horrors and talking about how his take on the zombie genre and and how he envisioned it one way and how it's been starting to change uh, and whatnot and he wasn't necessarily happy about that and you know the the 28 days later i think had come out around that time right. and someone asked him about them the running zombie and he's like well i don't know if those are necessarily zombies because mm-hmm. uh, you know, they don't call them zombies in right. the movie and, blah, 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 blah. and i get that he was kind of you know uh had it had a, he had his specific feeling about it right return of living dead obviously had uh, people involved with Night of Living Dead moving over to Return of Living Dead, so right, right. It, so there was that vibe about it. But it 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 paved a way for a whole new genre yeah. of zombie, right? Right, right, yeah. And, and there might not be a Shaun of the Dead if exactly it wasn't for the way it mixed the, you know the horror and the comedy and did it so well. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I appreciate you uh, kind of digging deep. You know, we we also cover other movies like uh-huh. The New Kids, which was directed by Sean Cunningham, Sean Cunningham yeah, which yeah. is kind of a... Did you ever see The New Kids? I've never seen it. Yeah, I'm embarrassed to say. Yeah, You should, <laughs> uh, because it's 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 different. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of teen exploitation movies. Mm-hmm. I don't know... Well, we... Actually, I said this on another podcast, that uh, on Podcasting After Dark, this in a way is therapy for me because it's processing my feelings about growing up as a teenager and going to school and mm-hmm. not having the best um, experience. Obviously not like going to Catholic school where you were sharing <laughs> off air some crazy stories. But um, but but this idea like, you know, school can be hard. And mm-hmm. so these movies kind of touched upon that. New Kids and Tough Turf and Class right. of 1984 right. um, um, where you go – you know, life can be hard for the new kid in town or, mm-hmm. and, and all of these kind of center around the new teacher or the new kid. And I love that genre. I don't really feel like we have that nowadays with this horror element, but the new kids is definitely a horror mm. film and having Sean Cunningham direct it, uh-huh. it has those elements of, you know, uh, even with the Lalo Schifrin soundtrack, cause Lalo Schifrin, his he's he's from the seventies and sixties, uh-huh. right? And he's doing an eighties teen movie. Wow. It doesn't necessarily fit, but there's elements where you go, oh, this reminds me of Friday the thirteenth soundtrack with you know oh. with the strings and the stuff uh-huh. like that. It's worth revisiting. Mm-hmm during your busy schedule mm-hmm. yeah no, I'll, I'll check it out yeah. <laughs> if you ever have a chance but having you on our show uh has been not only fun and such a trip down memory lane but it's i don't know to me this is this is such a cool experience thank you so much <laughs> oh, for being thank on you, our show Zach. it was really fun reminiscing with you and yeah and and sharing uh, sharing your program, it's it's been great. <laughs> Maybe we can uh, get you to come back. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, then one of these in. days, uh, you know, whether we're at Monster Palooza or potentially Weekend of Horrors, yeah, I'll do a, do something there. Yeah, that'll be fantastic. <laughs> Thanks again. Oh, I'll be there, Zach. Thank you. Thank you. For listening to Podcasting After Dark's exclusive interview series with Tony Timpone. And, as always, thank you for your support.
Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it.